Each of us has a unique career story to tell. For some, these fly high like rocket launches. For others, they're more like the game of shoots and ladders with advances and setbacks along the way. Either way, we learn countless lessons from these experiences. And that's what we put into the spotlight here at Career Sessions Career Lessons. Join discussions featuring a variety of guests sharing their stories of ups and downs, as well as the secrets of their success and what drives them to continue moving forward. We break down the tools and resources that will help you establish your dream career and realize your professional goals. Here's your host, J.R. Lowry. Hi, I'm J.R. Lowry, and this is Career Sessions, Career Lessons, which is brought to you by Pathwise.io. Pathwise is dedicated to helping you live the career you deserve, providing career and leadership coaching, content courses, and community. Basic membership is free, so visit Pathwise and join today. Today, my guest is Tony Martinetti, one of the Pathwise coaches and a member of our advisory group. He is the founder and chief inspiration officer of Inspired Purpose Partners, and he works with tech leaders on a variety of career-related topics. Tony is also the author of Climbing the Right Mountain and the just-published Campfire Lessons for Leaders, and is the host of the Virtual Campfire podcast, a TEDx speaker, a member of the Fast Company Executive Board, and much more. Prior to moving into executive coaching, Tony worked in the consumer packaged goods and life sciences industries with stops at P&G Gillette, Genzyme, Vertex, Sarepta, and Momenta. He holds a bachelor's degree and an MBA from Northeastern University, and he and his family live in the Boston area. Tony, welcome. Good to have you on the show with me. I'm thrilled to be here. This has been a long time in the making, so I'm really thrilled to sit down and have this conversation. Definitely been a long time in the making. I mean, you and I just met in person for the first time a little over a week ago when we were both at the Thinkers 50 conference and awards gala. Let's spend a few minutes maybe just covering that. I thought it was a great event. Incredibly impressive group of attendees, a lot of thought-provoking speakers. Everyone was so open to meeting and sharing ideas. I left with a lot of new insights. Who left the biggest impression on you? It's not just the one person, but I would say just the sense of like getting together with so many people I've met online and seeing mm. them in person and being able to have a hug and you know yeah. realize that we're actually 3D people. It's really amazing. But in terms of speakers who really left an impact... One person in particular was Ruth Goshen, who I loved her talk about mentoring. One of those things that we sometimes just misunderstand what mentors are and how they can make an impact on us. She did a fantastic job of bringing that into light. Yeah, she really did. And she certainly laid out compelling statistics on the value of mentoring. I since roped her into doing an episode of this podcast with me. I think we've got recording set up in about two weeks. So I'm looking forward to getting to do that with her because, I mean, she just makes the case so compellingly, as I said a minute ago, just on the value of mentoring and what it can do for your career relative people who who don't have mentors. So yeah, she was great. For me, the probably the most thought-provoking one, I would say it probably a tie, to be honest with you, between the the one that focused on artificial intelligence. We had Martin Lindstrom and Kate O'Neill Martin kind of being the we're all doomed, Kate being the voice of optimism. That one was certainly very thought-provoking. And the one on diversity and equity and inclusion also sort of had me thinking about some of it in a new light. And it's a topic I spend a decent amount of time thinking about at work. I'm on our company's DEI committee, lead a couple of our employee resource groups as a as the sort of senior sponsor. So I, but every time I get into one of these conversations, I learn something new. And that's that's a good thing. Yeah. I mean, the key thing is that if you have to have an open mind and you enter these conversations with that 
openness and not feel like you're being under attack or that you have to be defensive. And that's where you learn the most. And I think that's how I approach topics that I may not have all the answers. So I just enter it with this curiosity. You know, for me, there were also the people whose books I've read that I met for the first time, Dory Clark, who you introduced me to, Liz Wiseman. I interviewed Amy Edmondson, but, you know, got to meet her in person. Same thing with Wendy Smith, among others. And amazing to be able to put faces with names, as you say, to see people in 3D. I told people more often, probably in that two-day period, I really liked your book than I probably have to anybody before in my entire life. And, you know, it's just great. So many ideas out there that people are sharing. So people see it as like, it's an award ceremony. Sure. But it didn't feel like it had a competitive to it. It was more about everyone's there to lift each other up and celebrate each other. And everyone in a sense, and I don't mean to sound so like wonky about this, but they're all winners and we're all winners in the sense that we get to celebrate and uplift the ideas together. It's a huge thing just to make the Thinkers 50 list. And if you're an academic or somebody who makes a living writing books, doing keynote speeches and getting on that list is a big income boost for you, right? So there's a lot at stake. For me, there was literally nothing at stake other than just the commitment of time and, and a little bit of money and an opportunity to learn. But for some of those people, it makes a big difference. And as you say, they were really consistently supportive of each other. And it was just a strong sense of community there. And you don't often get that at a conference in the way that you did at that one. So that was great. So I mentioned a minute ago, you came as a guest of Dory, who teaches at Columbia. You know, she's written some pretty well-known books, including most recently, The Long Game. Um, You participated in her mastermind program. Can you describe what that is and what you've been taking away from the program? Sure thing. Dory for many years now, and I've had the chance to to learn from her, not just through being in community with her, but also watching as she has kind of shared her message along the way. In fact, there's one particular message that has really resonated with me, and I've gotten to really understand it well over the past year. And that is that people value you to the extent that you value yourself. And I think that's a really powerful thing. And the more and more we understand our value and we understand our voice, the more likely that we'll be able to get out there and have the confidence to stand in front of an audience and share our thoughts and see ourselves as someone who can bring an audience to their feet, if you will. And being in mastermind with with Dory particularly was she's a giver and it's not just about her giving of herself, but she's also someone who curates amazing humans that want to also share what they have to offer. Everyone comes into the space and we all start to help each other out in a way that will help to build each other's businesses, find ways to collaborate. Like a true mastermind, you don't feel like you're going in there and feel as though you know one person's going to one-up you or try to steal your ideas. It feels like a trusting and safe environment. And that's because Dory created that. Yeah, which is amazing. And I think when you get those groups together, be they peer groups in a formal sense, or maybe in a a bit more of an eclectic sense, people come into those things most often with the right mindset about the give and the take and wanting to learn from the other people and not being competitive. I mean, if you go into one of those things with a competitive sense, you've completely missed the boat. Yeah. But you'd be surprised. I've been on quite a journey when I got into this this field. And you know, there have been moments when I felt like, well, this is not the right space for me. These are not the right people. 
when you find the right people and you find the people who you belong with, it makes all the difference. You start to see the difference in the community and how it can be really amplifying and not just feel as though you're bringing something to the table that other people aren't bringing. That's where the curation that you mentioned can really be a force multiplier in groups like that. Because if you bring people together who are really different, different industries, different roles, different seniority levels, different age, there's going to be more opportunity for a kind of learning that you wouldn't necessarily get, right? I mean, people talk about don't just rely on your first order connections, like go out to your second order connections, because there's a lot more variability in that. And if you really want to broaden your understanding and perspective, you have to kind of think about that. And I think that's how she, I would assume, puts these groups together is looking for people who just are very different and will will bring complementary perspectives to each other. Absolutely. And I think it's it's how I think too. I think there's a sense of, I don't want to be speaking into an echo box of the same people doing the same things all the time, because what am I going to learn from that? I strive on being with people who are different and I can learn from, and maybe a few steps ahead, maybe a few steps back. We talked about mentoring earlier and mentoring is not always about having someone who's ahead of you. Sometimes you learn something from a person who is a few steps behind you that is doing things differently. I mean, whether you call it reverse mentoring or, or don't put that title on it. I mean, we can, you can learn from anybody. I've come to appreciate that more and more as I've gotten older, that you can learn things from people who may be well younger than you, may have way less experience than you. In some ways, that may be their strength relative to what you bring to a situation. And if you're open-minded about that, I think it can help you a lot. And I think the other element of this, and we haven't really talked about it yet, but is you have to create that container of trust and psychological safety, Amy's keyword there. But I think that trust is so important because you have to be able to trust the people around you because otherwise you might not feel that safety and opening up and sharing the things that, and things that are not working. Sometimes when you're working to develop a business, there's a lot of things that are not going all that great and you need some support. That's why you're in a room like that. You want people to point out the things that still need some support. What are some of the things that Dory has taught you about networking that you've employed more generally? It's funny. you know. I'll start with just saying that oftentimes we make it harder than it needs to be. Not just about networking with people we don't know, but also knowing that the people around us that we already have in our community, we're not leveraging them to the extent we should. We get the people who we've known through our alumni networks, through our past companies, and find ways to connect with them in different ways and say, hey, now I might be doing something different, but now it's time for us to have a conversation about my new gig, what my new pivot in my role is, and make sure we're maintaining that relationship It's not about, you know, okay, now I've moved on to something different. It's time for me to shed my old skin and move on. No, it's about celebrating what was and move forward in a new light of who you are. But particularly Dory talks a lot about this idea of like, you know, being a great host is a great way for you to be highlighting who you are in this space about bringing people together, curating, as we said earlier. You don't have to all have the answers, but you can bring some brilliant people together and find connections and commonalities between them. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful way to think about networking. It doesn't have to be hard, but it can be all about 
bringing people together and creating a space and you as the host can help to craft, how do you want that to look? What do you want it to be like? When someone is a good host, right? Yeah. There is a generosity that comes with that, right? I mean, they are empathetically looking for ways to connect the people in the group. The people who aren't good hosts, it's too much about them personally, or they just outright ignore everybody and let everybody fend for themselves. And when you get somebody who is really generous as a host, right? Graciously introducing people, helping them find common connections, break down barriers that come with meeting somebody for the first time and not knowing exactly what to say. She does that really well. Yeah. And I'll just use this example because this is one of those things that came to me recently. I've been running an alumni network of a company I used to work for, Genzyme. And Mm. I've been doing it for, gosh, six years, maybe even longer, actually much longer. And didn't really think about it very much. But what I realized is that I've been doing this just because I enjoy doing it. And people really appreciate what I've done. It's bringing people together who have worked in the company. There's over 10,000 people who've worked at the the company. And through these little events I put together, people have jobs, they've collaborated together, they've stayed in touch. And it's really created a bond that's much stronger than just hey, that was a good company. It's become a community. And now, you know, with the the lens of looking at it from what can I do to keep them going? It's coming back to the principles of what Dory is mentioning is this idea of be a good host, introducing people, bring people together. And it's not about just me as a host. It's about creating the space for great conversations to happen. Absolutely. Talk a little bit about your business. You've been an executive coach for six years or so, I think. What prompted you to leave the corporate world and start your coaching practice? There were really two big moments that prompted me. The first one was when I was really in the space of being a finance leader and working in biotech, 25 years working in in biotech and high tech. And I had a very successful career. I worked on some amazing projects and some great therapeutic agent. So it was really cool to be in that space. But a lot of people reflected to me that, you know, there's something different about you. You're not the typical finance person. I'm like, okay, but this is what I do. And I work really hard at it. And so I started to really burn myself out and so badly that I started to skip vacations. I'd work on vacations. It's one of those typical burn the candle at both ends, like work as hard as you can until you, you can't anymore. And it got to the point where I started to lose my whole perspective on life. So I had that real burnout moment that had me feeling really depressed. And I think for the most part, not a lot of people who saw me would have known how bad it was because I hit it well. I always had this affable, you know, kind of like uplifting attitude, but inside I was dying. I started to think about how am I going to get out of this? And this is not sustainable. I had to be there for my family. And so slowly but surely, I clawed my way out of that darkness and found ways to cope. But it wasn't all the way there yet. That was my first big dark moment. As I moved out of that space, I started to get a little help from therapists. I did have a coach for a brief amount of time. And I started to see a light. I was like, maybe there's a better way of living. I'm still working in the space of finance. And eventually I found myself working at a biotech company. And I realized all of a sudden it just kind of dawned on me as I'm sitting in this boardroom that the two executives that were sitting in that room 
they were arguing about something that was somewhat meaningless. It was more about who's right and who's wrong. And I looked around the room and saw all these other people in the room and they all had their heads down looking on their phones. And I said to myself like, wow, this is ridiculous. We work for an industry that saves lives and this is a waste Mm. of our lives. And this is not inspiring. Mm. I just said, I'm going to walk out of this room. I'm getting up and walking out and I'm going to leave this room to change this room somehow. I don't know what that means. I just know that I'm done collecting a big paycheck and doing nothing that is meaningful to me or the people around this room. So I did. I walked out and I was probably scared as all heck, but I knew that my life had to be more meaningful than what I was contributing to that room. Now that you're into the coaching piece, what types of people are you working with and what kinds of situations are they facing? So now that I've gotten into this work, the people I've worked with most of all are people who are working on big, meaningful goals. They're really up to some amazing things. Obviously, a lot of tech leaders and a lot of people from biotech because that's my background. But the reality is they want to have the impact, but they don't want the burnout. And they come to me with this idea of like, man, I'm just so frustrated or I feel so like something missing and I need someone to help me get on a better path or at least find a way to save time or manage my schedule or find a way to lead better. And whenever I hear them say meaningful impact, I start to find that that's the the trigger for me because I know that people who want to make a meaningful impact are always struggling with the downsides of that because anyone who wants to make a big impact has all the baggage that goes with that, the burnout potential. So how can we help them? How can we ensure that they do it in a way that is designed for them to be successful? And that's what I do. I help them to figure out a way to do it with intention and what I call grounded leadership so that they can be more intentional in the way that they lead. Long-winded answer, but there it is. Yeah, it's okay. Everybody's different, right? Their situations are are all unique. There's some common bedrock principles that really underpin your approach to coaching? Well, the thing I often start with is I get people to think expansively. I call it expand your vision and narrow your focus because we need to think bigger first, which is to say, if you're constantly struggling, if you're constantly finding yourself like knocking your head against the same wall, it's probably because you haven't thought, you haven't dreamed big enough or you haven't thought big enough or considered options that you that are on the table. So expansiveness is is the first step. And so with that expansiveness, it's like, well, what if I thought of my job in a different way? I thought of like, maybe I don't need to do all the things. Maybe what I'm doing right now is too broad of a scope, or maybe I need a bigger organization, um, bigger team. And then once we get clarity about what are those potential things, it's about narrowing your focus, not just what you do, but what you will do next, which is the steps that you're going to put in place. So that broadening and narrowing is kind of like a a way to continue to do the coaching. It's like, okay, step away, step in, zoom out, and then zoom in. And that Mm. process really gets people to to see new opportunities. So what are the kinds of things, apart from the sort of broadening your view and narrowing your focus. Yeah. What are some of the other things that you do to help them break the cycle of burnout or the overwork that they may be putting themselves into, you know, so that they can have that kind of impact on a greater scale without killing themselves in the process? 
Yeah. The second thing I like to share is what's called the time travel model. Time travel model is what it sounds like. It's really taking a moment to take inventory of where you are by looking back first and saying, okay, what are the things that have gotten me here? And why why have I accumulated all this stress, you know, these the pressure? And and what are the things that I want to keep because they're important to me? And what are the things that I'm starting to resent because they've become part of like the baggage that keeps me down? And then the forward looking, which is now we're time traveling into the future, is to envision a future and to think what is the future that I want to see? How is an ideal day? an ideal situation for me set up. And that's where we need to get people to stretch their perspective a bit more and see a bigger picture for themselves. So that future vision is the next thing we we look at. And then it's coming to the present and saying, okay, what can we do now? What is it that we're going to do in this present moment that will allow us to get into action and to start moving towards that vision we've now set? Those three steps I mean, they can work on any level, smaller goals, bigger goals. But the key thing is you have to go in and look at it from three different angles. I mean, you made a fairly big shift in your own life, right? I mean, you realized that you didn't want to be in a room where people are arguing over something that didn't really matter. And you want to find a different way to kind of have impact and to change other people's lives. You're six years into your entrepreneurial journey out of the corporate world? How do you find it? The portfolio of things you're doing, the experience of running your own business, what do you like best and least about it? I feel really alive. I feel fully alive. And not every day is like walking on clouds, but I feel a lot more alive than I ever have because I feel like I'm living the life that I was meant for. And I think that's important. It's powerful. Yeah, it is. It really feels powerful. And I think the funny thing is that I could have been still sitting there toiling away in doing the work that I was doing. And I'm not saying that it's an indictment on the corporate world. It's not. But it's just for me that I had to do something drastic to get out of that spot. And that's what I want people to think. What are you doing that's not serving you? What are you tolerating in your life that you shouldn't be tolerating? And even today, when I think about some of the things that come up for me, sometimes I'm getting stuck in the weeds with certain parts of my job. I have to step away and say, okay, is this lighting me up? Does it bring joy to me and allow me to do the things that I'm really skilled at? And if not, I think about outsourcing. I think about doing less of it. I think about ways to leverage other people in a way that helps me to stay in the place that keeps me most alive. I know writing is a piece of that for you. You write prose, you write poetry. You have a new book out, Campfire Lessons for Leaders. You want to tell us a little bit about it? Sure thing. This book is really exciting for me. This is something that I've been toiling away on this for a bit. And what makes it interesting for me is that it's based on my podcast, The Virtual Campfire, but particularly it's taking these 10 lessons that I've realized are important for helping people to take a look at their lives and look at where they're coming from and where they're going to and how to use their past, their narrative as a powerful tool to propel them forward. And the reason why it's a was a challenging journey is because I have 27 people in the book who I've included that have trusted me with their story. And I feel 
honored, but also I feel like there's a lot of responsibility to make sure I include them in the best possible way. And I respect and honor their challenging parts of their journey because there are some challenging stories in there that will help other people navigate their own journeys. So that's what made it hard to um, to bring this together, but also it's going to be an amazing book that people really will be able to dig in, hear some great stories, learn some great lessons, and there's some great action tips in there for you to put this into your own life and use it as a tool to really see what your narrative could be if you really dig in. Can you describe one or two of those lessons? Well, one of the lessons is about out of darkness comes a light. And this particular lesson is about, you know, sometimes the darkest moments of our lives can reveal thing that we're meant for. I have one particular story of a woman who navigated a period where she was suicidal and it's very mm-hmm. dark, but what she realized as she was navigating this, she actually was an iron woman. She actually used to do these competitions and it was, she was the strong friend everyone relied on, but here she was in a psych ward. Because yeah. she was suicidal. She finally got through all the, uh, the initial pain and the challenging periods and realized, wow, like I made it through this. And now I feel like my life is meant for something that is related to helping other people know that they're not alone and that they can seek out help if they're having those ideations. And so she created a foundation, she created a business that is geared towards helping people feel like they can be heard. And she's made a huge impact in her, in people's lives. I mean, to the point where she even identified friends of hers. She didn't even know that they were having these challenges too. Mm. And so anyways, it's a very powerful story. That's just one example of many. Um, A lot of these came out of your podcast, as you mentioned. Yeah. How long have you been doing that? The virtual campfire podcast? I started during the pandemic and I will tell you right now, I started in 2021 I would have never had seen myself being a podcast host, but have to say that when I started to do this, it felt like it just fit in. It fit with me and it felt with, it felt natural as things started to progress. And now I just feel like this is something I just love doing and that people I've had on, they've trusted me with their stories, like I say, and I just feel like I show up with real intention to just give them a space to be open and vulnerable. What's the mix of guests that you seek to have on your show? It's a great mix, I would say. Um, It's anywhere from artists to business leaders to thought leaders, authors, coaches. I mean, it really runs the gamut. had these two artists who came on who wrote a book called Two Beats Ahead, which was just fantastic. And I interviewed them both at the same time. Really cool, really cool episode. Who have been some of the other memorable guests that you've had on your show? The ones who've really left that kind of lasting impression. One person who really left an impression on me was Lane Gardner. Lane Gardner is the person who started a foundation that helps people to use their voice to basically write stories and songs that will help them deal with trauma. So she worked with the kids down in in Florida at the school shooting in Florida. I can't remember the name of the. the, uh, Yeah. Yes. And basically she worked with them to write a song to help them deal with their trauma And this is something she does over and over again to help people. And it came from her own journey of how Mm. she navigated her journey through life. That was not exactly a rosy picture either. Really a beautiful story. And just kind of like 
tells the story of how we have within us the power to heal ourselves if we're willing to express what's deep inside of us. For me, it was a beautiful session. Well, the new book, Campfire Lessons for Leaders, is a your second book, right? You published one a few years back called Climbing the Right Mountain. What was its key message? It was all about you know defining success on our own terms. The sense of like people working so hard to get to the top of their mountain and then realizing that, well, they don't love the view or they don't love, love where things have ended up. And here it's about resetting the clock for yourself and just say, hey, what do I want to experience? What is my definition of success? Not what others want for me. And how can I navigate a path that is more aligned with my intentions? And so that's what the book is about. And I have eight guideposts that I've I set up for people to follow to get on that path. Very simple and it's very approachable book. Yeah. I made it that way. I remember I, we talked about this a little bit when we were together last week, just about the fact that it was a very relatable book. I read it back in 2021. So it's been a few years, but I, mm-hmm. I just remember it being accessible. So it's good. In your coaching work, how do you help people figure out their right mountain? The first thing I like to do is just understand, it's similar to what I was saying earlier, the the time traveling model, is to really kind of get them to understand what had me starting to climb initially. Why did I get to where I am in the first place? And what are the things I want to celebrate? What do I want to honor? One of the big things that I use I do in the book is this idea of celebrating the gain or the gain, not the gap. This comes from another coach and author, Dan Sullivan, which is the gap versus the gain. And I think that's an important factor. We often think, look how far I have to go. And we focus so much on the gap. But if we look at how far we've come, understand all of the the things we've done and use that as fuel to get us to the next place where we're looking to go, then that's really helpful. But also understanding that we have to decide who we want to be, not think of it as a title or think of it as, you know, I want to be happy when I get to that place. It's instead rewiring ourselves to say, like, who do I want to be right now that will put me in the trajectory of becoming the person that I'm meant to be? So that might include, for example, I use this analogy a lot even though I'm not a marathon runner, if you want to be a marathon runner, which you are, (laughs) then you know that the marathon runners, they act differently. They do things differently. A marathon runner does not eat junk food all day long and not go running. That just isn't the way a marathon runner acts. So if you declare yourself, hey, I'm a marathon runner, and you say it now, it starts to put in your head the seeds of who you want to become. And I think you're sort of linking to a concept that James Clear wrote about in Atomic Habits to this idea of linking habits to your identity. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm a runner. Runners run, you know, therefore I should go out and run today. And you you build that kind of habit and make it part of your identity. By the way, I run, but I also eat a lot of junk food. So, or at least a lot of candy. So. Well, and, and I think just to come back to this example of, well, the idea that words create worlds. And I think it's so important. The choice of words that we use makes all the difference because it starts yeah. to create this sense of like, if we want to be happy, then be happy. If you're waiting to be happy, then you're never going to be happy with who you are. It's like always going to be off in the distance, then it will be always off in the distance but you have to choose to be the person you want to be. You do. It's an important concept. Simple, 
but sometimes really hard to put into practice. Exactly. Exactly. I want to talk a little bit about curiosity. I know this is a little bit of a jump from one topic to a completely different one, but would you describe it as being in your kind of top three values? 100%. Curiosity has been with me before I even knew that it was a strong value. I, I look back and I say, holy moly, like, let me just explain to you where this comes from. When I was a kid, this is really kind of embarrassing. I used to read the encyclopedia. <laughs> Which was really wild because, you know, I'm sure you weren't the only one. Yeah. I just wanted to know everything about everything. And to the point where curiosity to me was like, it became kind of dangerous because I got into wanting to get to know everything about everything. But it still to this day is something that has me picking up all these different hobbies and little things and learning about ways to do different things because. I know that the more curious I am, I get to see the connections and connecting dots to different worlds that I've been part of. I'm someone who started as an artist, then went into pre-med, got into business, and now I'm, I'm doing coaching and leadership development, which is really wild. But also at the same time, I wouldn't have done it any differently because I've learned a lot about how people think in different ways because I've been around different people. So how do you help the people that you work with learn to value and nurture their curiosity? (laughs) This is going to sound odd, but slow them down. I think the idea is that we're always so quick to say, like, I just want to get it done. Let's go move forward. But the idea is that we need to slow things down, have more ideas. Let's stay with this a little longer. And I think that is really where the power of curiosity can really become a tool for not only self-discovery, but also for ideation of many things, because there's not just one answer. And the best answers come after sitting with a problem for a bit longer than you would be comfortable, especially when it comes to personal exploration, because we're uncomfortable being with ourselves. Even if you're with a coach, it's uncomfortable to have the spotlight on you and asking questions about like, what is meaningful to me? What are the things that are important to me? The first things that come to mind may be great, but they're not the real things. It takes time to explore. Certainly anybody who's worked with a coach or been through therapy where you have these sort of this open-ended questions, there's no place to escape to, right? It forces you to start thinking about your own situation, yourself, your behaviors, your action, your context, your broader environment in a deeper way, right? Than you might otherwise have done so. And once you learn to do that, in a way, you've slowed yourself down to your point and you start experiencing things around you more deeply, but it takes work. And this yeah. is Martin Lindstrom, who was another person at this conference last week, other than being very negative on artificial intelligence's impact on humanity, he went so far as to get rid of his phone. And that was his way of being more in the moment, more present. And for a lot of people, especially in this world of hyperactive activity, it's really hard to do that. I think it's funny when you talk about Martin Lindstrom, it's like sometimes the best way to to stay curious is to also be counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. And I think that's in some ways what he's trying to point at. He's looking yeah. at is staying in the counterintuitive edge so that he can see if maybe that will refute the thing that he maybe even believes. You know, a lot of us have to take that counterintuitive argument 
to push against the established norm. And I think that's a good way to think about it. If you have something you believe strongly, what would the opposite be? That's curiosity at work. Yeah, definitely curiosity at work. You do a lot of different things. I think that's one of the ways that you nurture your own curiosity. You write, you coach, you write poetry, you know, all sorts of different things. You run the Genzyme alumni group. How do you fit all of this in, Tony? Well, everything in due time, right? And I don't do it all at once. And I try to find ways to get help wherever I can, having some people along the way who I can reach out to and ask for help, which is interesting because I think that's one thing that I never would have seen myself asking for help in my prior life because I, that would have been seen as like embarrassing or you know something mm. that you don't do. But now I see the power in asking for help and how important it is to say, hey, this is what I need help with. Can you help me? And people are more apt to say, yeah, I can do that and I can help you and let's do this together. You know, If you have a very clear ask and it's something that that person is good at, they're willing to do it. I mean, even for when I think about job searches, people doing job searches, I'm always telling people this, look, people want to help you. They do. They just can't help you unless you're clear about what it is you want. So the more clear the ask, the more likely you'll get the help. A minute ago, you made reference to things that people are good at. What are the things that you're good at? What are the strengths that have carried you through the many different parts of your squiggly career that you described earlier? Yes. You know, one of the things that I'm really good at is generating lots of ideas. Maybe it's because of the curiosity, but one of the things that does, there's a dark side to that, as I already said, is that I got to also make sure that I execute on the right ones and not all of them. So it's knowing where to focus. And so that's not always easy for me. So having someone on board with me to be able to say, Hey, this is the right thing to do based on what you've put on the table, at least for now that's important. The other thing that is a word that I've mentioned earlier, but I didn't get into the details is this uh, word grounded. Mm. It's something that people reflected on me as I coached them, as I worked with them, they said, there's something about how you show up. You're very grounding. You're someone who can, makes me feel like very calm and relaxed, but also feel like, you know, where we're headed. And that is something that I think is not easy to come by. Not every leader is that way, but it can be learned. You need people like me who can stay calm and connected when there's a crisis. So that's one of the gifts that I bring to the people who I work with. Which is a a great strength to have because a lot of people need that. They need somebody in their life who helps them stay grounded. Yeah. Because otherwise, you know, they go off and get overly sort of down a rabbit hole or emotional or overly excited about something. And they need somebody to just kind of make sure that they're not completely losing sight of things. Other than learning to ask for help, what are some of the other things that you've had to develop along the way? Well, I always say this in the in the form of a of a quote, because I think this quote actually captures it all. I had to learn that amateurs compete and professionals create. Amateurs compete and professionals create. And what I mean by that is that if you think about starting a business or getting into a space where you're trying to build something, if you go in with the idea that like the people around me who are in the same field are my competition and I can't share and I have to like, 
have to beat them to the race, then what happens is it's a race to the bottom. But if I look at it as like, hey, you know, I can learn from them. Maybe I'll teach them a thing or two too. And we can create a bigger pie together instead of like taking a limited pie and just cutting off slices of it. So I had to learn that. And I that has been one of the biggest things that has been made me successful in this field and is just being open to collaborating and learning and sharing and giving and not necessarily working with people who are not like, I mean, avoiding people who are not like that. So you describe yourself as chief inspiration officer. Who or what inspires you, Tony? (laughs) I always say I have to earn that title every day. It's a big title. Yeah, it's a big title. And it's also a big title because of the fact that I have to think about like, what is inspiring me? How can I stay inspired? Because I think leaders have to be inspired to inspire others. So what inspires me? People who are doing interesting things in the world, who are making big impacts, who are, you know, creating a better future. I think about this idea of like, you know, what am I doing that's contributing positively to the world? Not me, but people who are doing that. And when I think about those types of people and having conversations with them, I get excited. It energizes me. And that inspires me to want to do the work that I'm doing because I know that by having more conversations that connect the dots between different people, you know, we're going to make the world better because of the fact that we're sharing ideas that build on each other. And it's not about competing for ideas. Like I said, it's about building on the ideas that we have. Last question. What's ahead for you next few years? Next few years. Okay. That's a good question. I'm hoping a good vacation will be ahead for me because I think I'm due for one with my family. What is ahead for me is I'm, I'm going to be doing some retreats that will bring some of the ideas from my book into the retreat style platform. Vacation still to be determined, but it is something that I'm working on. I've got a partner in crime. I'm collaborating and I'm looking forward to bringing it out to some people who want to get out of their offices and spend some time together in places that are inspiring. Sounds exciting. I look forward to hearing more about it. Yeah. Well, hopefully come join us. Sounds good. Any last advice share with our audience today? Yeah. If there's a conversation that you're not having right now with a person who's important to you, have the courage to go out and have it because these conversations are important. I say inspiration through honest conversations. That's my tagline. And I think it's so important to not hold back. Time is precious and we need to have the conversations that are going to make an impact. Good advice to close on. Thanks for doing this, Tony. Oh, thank you. This has been fun. Well, thanks again and have a good rest of your day. You too. I want to thank Tony for joining me today. We covered a pretty broad range of topics, including the recent Thinkers 50 conference, Tony's coaching practice and books and podcasts, and his own career journey. If you're ready to take control of your career, you can visit pathwise.io. And if you'd like more regular career insights, become a Pathwise member. It's free. You can also sign up on the website for the Pathwise newsletter. Follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. Thanks and have a great day. Thank you for listening to Career Sessions, Career Lessons. We hope the nuggets of wisdom shared today help guide your path to the successful career of your dreams. This podcast series is part of Pathwise.io, which is here to help you live the career you want. We provide a comprehensive mix of career and professional development events, insights, tools, and exercises backed by a group of leading coaches and other career management experts. 
If you aspire to something more or just something different in your career, join us at pathwise.io. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. See you again on the next episode.